Well, good morning again, everybody. Thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and this morning I want to share a message entitled, Is This the Jesus You trust and follow. It's actually the first message in a series of four messages from the Gospel of Luke that's going to take us all the way up to Easter in just a few weeks. Now, why are we looking at the Gospel of Luke? It's because it's part of our chapter of day readings, and if you're not in on that yet, pull out your phone right now, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to sign up with your email address and join, really, with hundreds and hundreds of us as we're reading God's Word together a chapter a day. And what better way to prepare your heart to celebrate Easter than to abide in the Gospel of Luke every Every day as we walk up from now to then. Now, as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, I want to say a warm, warm welcome to everybody who's in our contemporary service today. I'm really glad you're here this morning. And I also want to say welcome to everybody who's joining us on TV and online. We're really glad that you're joining in this morning as well. Now, you know, some of you may be saying as you uh, if you have familiarity with the scripture, uh, I think Pastor Tim's a little confused about what season it is because he's going to be speaking from Luke 1 and 2. And the time of year that we usually speak from Luke 1 and 2 is at Christmas time, right? Because Luke 1 and 2 tell the story of the birth of Christ. But the answer is, no, I, I, I'm not confused. I, I know it's not Christmas season. I know we're on the way to Easter. But what I'm really counting on is over this week and the following three that you're going to see how what we see as just a part of the Christmas story is really part of a bigger story. And I will, I'm just praying that the Lord's going to help you and me connect the dots the biblical dots that help us see into and understand more fully and appreciate more deeply. And as a result of that, as a result of connecting the biblical dots in a deeper way, well, our love for the Lord Jesus is just going to grow. Our devotion to him is just going to get deeper. And our living for God's glory is just going to become more joyful, more full, just everything that the Lord intends it to be. Now, before we dive into the Gospel of Luke, though, I just got, I've just got to say that a couple of things I love, things about the Lord and His Word and basketball are coming together this week. Are, are, are any of you all watching college basketball and March Madness right now? If you are, if you are then you know that there's a team for the first time in the tournament's history who was a number 15 seed is now in the Elite Eight, they're playing tonight against North Carolina, and if they win, they go to the Final Four. It'd be the first time it ever happens. And you know the name of this school? It's a biblical name. It's called St. Peter's. Isn't that interesting? 
one of the apostles, a Jesuit school in New York City, in Jersey City, uh, New Jersey, only a couple of thousand students, uh, undergraduate, and man, they've they just been playing lights out. I mean, just winning, and I, it's just been so fun to watch. I, I've just laughed out loud every game they've won. It'd be okay for me if they just won the whole thing. What a David and a Goliath story it would be. I was thinking about St. Peter's, though, and it reminded me of a story that uh, supposedly uh, Forrest Gump, you've heard of him, died, is standing at the pearly gates, and St. Peter, there's the connect, St. Peter said to him, uh, look, Forrest, we're getting a little crowded here in heaven. We're having to ask a few more questions to try to weed out a few folks before we let them in. So I've got three questions for you. They'll get progressively harder. So let's go ahead and get started, shall we? And so he said, okay. And so St. Peter said, well, here's the first question. I need to know the name of the two days of the week that begin with T. And Forrest thought for a moment, he said, I think I've got it. It's today and tomorrow. (laughs) And St. Peter said, well, that wasn't what I had in mind, but it makes sense. Let's go on to the second question. It's a little more difficult. He said, can you tell me how many seconds there are in the entire year? Forrest thought for a moment, he said, I think I got it. He said, it's 12. January 2nd, February 2nd, (laughs) March 2nd, April 2nd. St. Peter again said, well, wasn't what I had in mind, but I guess okay. And he said, my, my third question is, is, do you know God's first name? Forrest thought for a minute, and he said, oh, I think I got that too. He said, I remember, isn't that old hymn we used to sing? His first name is Andy. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me I am his own. That's really bad, isn't it? (laughs) That's really bad. You know, if St. Peter's looking for hard questions, he may want to start asking, can you tell me what the definition of a woman is? (laughs) I think even Forrest would get that. (laughs) Oh, well, some of you are saying, now what does this have to do with anything, Pastor? Well, by the time we're done, you're going to see what it has uh, to do with. So hang with me. Are you with me? Let's look at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Here's what the Bible says. Now, Luke chapter 1 tells the story of the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. So look at it. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Mary's relative Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel, now that name Gabriel means strong man of God. This angel Gabriel is found only four times in scripture, twice in the book of Daniel and two times here in the first chapter of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I don't know what's in your mind when you read Nazareth, but many scholars think it 
its population would have been between 200 and about 1,600 people. It's halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea in the hill country of Galilee. Since it was in the sixth month that the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed, it means formally engaged, to a man whose name was Joseph. And then Luke is wanting us to know one thing about Joseph here. We learn some other things elsewhere, but he says his name was Joseph and he was of the house of David. He wanted us to know that Joseph was a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28 says, this angel Gabriel, the strong man of God, came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I want you to see if you can get back there. It's a little no-name, backwater, village, town, far from the power seat of Jerusalem, up in Galilee. Nothing of significance really ever happens there. She's a teenage girl in all likelihood. And first of all, the angel appears to her. And then, this is the way he speaks to her. He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, when I read that, my mind went immediately back to the book of Judges, where we've recently read through, because in the story of Gideon, guess what happens? The Lord sends an angel to Gideon, and guess how the Lord addresses him? The Lord says in Judges 6, 12, the angel says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Do you see the similarity? When God is about to do a new work, he often sends an angelic messenger to identify a leader, a person he's going to use and to tell them I'm with you, I'm with you. In verse 29, the scripture says, but she, Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And I just wanna say, no kidding. And the angel said to her, verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now look right up here a minute. I just want to say that any time God calls us to a new level of obedience, a new level of involvement, uh, if he's preparing us to use us and we sense him stirring within to use us, one of the common feelings associated with that is fear, a little anxiety. I'm not sure how that's going to turn out. I'm not really sure if I can do that. I, I, I'm, I'm really not sure if I should make that commitment. But as he said to Gideon, the Lord says to Mary, and the Lord says to you and me, you don't need to be afraid. 
It's not ultimately about you. This is about me, and I am with you. Verse 31, the angel says, And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. And then, look at verse 32, the angel says to Mary, This son you're going to have, he'll be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And notice Mary's reply. Verse 34. I just think it's so transparent. It's so honest. So authentic. Mary said to the angel. How? How will this be? I'm hearing what you're saying. I think I understand it, but I want to know how. How can this be since I am a virgin? The Greek text here literally says, since I do not know a man. Mary says, how? How can this be? And the angel answered, look at it, verse 35. The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit, that's how, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then it's as if the angel wanted to... uh, Offer Mary some assurance that this was really possible. So look at verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And then the angel says to Mary, look, nothing will be impossible with God. Elizabeth is doing the seemingly impossible. And now Mary, you will too. And then in verse 38, we see Mary's reply. It's beautiful. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In other words, she said, I still don't understand, but my life is centered on the living God of Israel, the Lord. And so, because I am his servant, I say to you, O angelic messenger, God's will be done in my life. I'm his servant. Do with me as you will. Mary becomes such an exemplar for us there about what our response and reaction ought to be. Now this paragraph that we've just read from Luke 1 that we often hurry through at Christmas time is teaching us four important truths. You ready? Write them down. Here they are. Truth number one. It is teaching us that Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. Uniquely the Son of God. Twice in this passage, 
It says he will be called the son of the most high. It says he will be holy, the son of God. Now, sometimes we say, rightly so, because the Bible speaks this way, that whenever we turn from our sin and repentance and put our trust in Christ, we are adopted into God's family and we become children of God, sons and daughters of God. That's a biblical way of thinking. So there's a sense in which we are all sons of God. We are all sons and daughters in God's family. But that's not what the Bible's saying about Jesus here. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Virtually everyone listening will know John 3, 16. Do you remember what it says? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Do you remember how the old King James Version translates the next part? That he gave his what? Do you know the next words? Only begotten son. The more modern versions say, like the ESV, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Another will say his one and only son. They are translating the Greek word monogenes, which means one of a kind, unique, never to be repeated, didn't exist before, never will exist again. Jesus is uniquely, the Bible teaches us, the son of God. That's the first thing we see in this paragraph. Second thing, write it in, it teaches us that Jesus is the promised Davidic, that means from David, Messiah King. Jesus is the promised Davidic Messiah King. Did you see that? That was in verses 32 and 33 when it says, this son Mary the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there'll be no end. Now, where did that messianic expectation begin? Where was it rooted? Where was the promise made? We well, have to go all the way back to the book of 2 Samuel 7. David had conquered his enemies by God's power and now he was living in a beautiful home in Jerusalem and he wanted to build a temple, a house for God. The Lord said, no, that'll be for Solomon. But look, I've got a promise for you, David. And here it is. He says in 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And a little bit later in that conversation, the Lord says to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so once this promise was made to David, all of his descendants looked for, yearned for the day when the promised Messiah King would come. And the Bible's teaching us that Jesus, he's that Messiah King. A few years ago, I remember having a conversation with a young man um, of Jewish background. He was engaging me about questions of faith and he was 
saying to me essentially, and I want to just ask you today, he was saying to me, can a person who is a Jew be a Christian? What's the answer to that question? About half of us knew. The question was, can a person who is a Jew be a Christian? What is the answer to that question? The answer is yes. In fact, a person who is a Jew ought to be a Christian because to be a Christian means that you say, Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the promised King. Don't you see? Oh man, the freight in this paragraph is huge. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the promised Davidic Messiah King. And then the third thing you have to take away here is that Jesus was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit and was born of a virgin. This passage does not make sense unless that is true. Now, some of you may say, oh yeah, I've heard of that. That, That's what they call the doctrine of the immaculate conception, right? And the answer is no, wrong. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception was not articulated by the Roman Catholic Church until the 1850s. And what it says is that Mary was preserved from original sin. And that Mary, a corollary doctrine, she experienced perpetual virginity. And it it sort of elevates and venerates Mary to a place that the Bible never does. You see, uh, Mary's important to this story and she's a good example for us, is she not? But we ought not say about Mary what the Bible never says. Guess what? Mary had a sin nature just like you and me and that son she gave birth to was her savior as well as our savior. And so what is the Bible affirming here? It's affirming that God did something miraculous. It is unexplainable in human terms. The Holy Spirit caused Mary to conceive and she gave birth to a son and he was born while she was still a virgin. It's a miracle. And then the fourth thing this passage teaches us is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is one divine human person with two natures. So when we put all that together, what's this paragraph teaching us today? It's teaching us the doctrine of the incarnation. And and in John's gospel, he summarizes this in one beautiful verse, John 1, 14. I want everybody to read it aloud with me. Would you? It's on your outline. It'll be on the screen. It begins, and the word became flesh. John summarizes in one verse these beautiful truths this morning. Are you ready? Here we go. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. 
the eternal word, the divine word, the creative word, the life-giving word, the light-bringing word, the word who was with God and was God, that word became flesh. When the apostle Paul would write about it, he would put it this way, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, on your outline, I just want you to see that as other scholars have meditated on the truth we're underscoring today, um, you get a sense of it from their words. Look what the ESV study Bible says. It says, this is the most amazing event in all of history. The eternal, omnipotent, unpresent, infinitely holy son of God took on a human nature and lived among humanity as one who was both God and man at the same time and in one person. Wow, what a miracle. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology puts it this way. Look at it. He says, we may summarize the biblical teaching about the person of Christ as follows. Jesus Christ was fully God, fully man in one person and will be so forever. It is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal son of God could become man and join himself to human nature forever. So that infinite God became one person with finite man. That will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. Dr. J.I. Packer in his concise theology shares a similar thing. I guess today, church family that I love, as we're beginning to walk toward Easter, I want you to stand in awe. I want you to stand in awe of Jesus because he is unlike any other. He is son of God, Messiah King, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, unique of all the people who ever lived. And we stand in awe of him. Now, across the years, there are an awful lot of non-biblical views that arise. They go by a lot of fancy sounding names. I've put some of them on your outline. Do you see it? Well, the earliest ones, Arianism, teaches Jesus as a created being, not fully God. There are still denominations that teach that today. Another is docetism. Jesus only seemed to be human. He was not fully man. Another is adoptionism. Jesus became God at his baptism. Another is Apollinarianism. He had a human body, but not a human mind and spirit. Another is Nestorianism. Jesus was two persons in one body. Another is Eutychianism. Jesus' human nature was absorbed or swallowed up by his divine nature. Some today would say Jesus is a great teacher and example a respected human religious leader, but nothing more, not God. And some would say the whole story's a myth. It's a creation of the imagination of his first followers. But did you hear it? The Bible says, Jesus is son of God, Messiah King, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. And the Bible says one more thing that I want us to see in Luke 2. And the angel said to him, this is the angel to the shepherds, fear not, 
For behold, I'll bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this Jesus that we're talking about this morning is Savior and he is Lord. And so the question is, how do you respond to him? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart you believe and are justified and with the mouth you confess and you're saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on him? Are you trusting this Jesus, the one revealed in the scripture? So now let's say that today you die and you're standing at the pearly gates and St. Peter's got a few questions for you. I don't believe he's going to ask you about the days of the week. I don't believe he's going to ask you about how many seconds are in a year. I don't think he's going to ask you a trick question like what God's first name. I don't even think he's going to ask you to define what a woman is. But the Bible does teach us. The Bible does teach us that the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved is the name of Jesus. And so when God says, why should I let you into my heaven? The only right answer is to say, not because of my goodness, not because of my heritage, not because of my wisdom, not because of anything I've done. I am trusting Jesus. I'm relying on him. I'm with him. The Jesus that scripture reveals, son of God, Messiah King, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. I'm with Jesus. That's the reason you ought to let me into heaven. And the Bible says Jesus has prepared a place for all who trust him and know him. Now, let's connect the dot before I pray. We're on our way, are we not, to Easter? But beloved, listen. The crucifixion and the resurrection mean nothing if the incarnation is not true. Are you with me today? That's the reason why we begin where we're beginning. Because it's the Jesus the Bible reveals that we love and trust and follow and confess. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us again today.
about your son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray for some in the room, some listening online or TV who have never trusted and followed you. Pray that some today would turn from sin and trust Jesus and love him and worship him and follow him. He's our hope. He's our hope of heaven. And so we trust and follow Jesus today. And I pray in his name. Amen.